The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. You are in the fourth of a five-week series where we are speaking to each one of the elements and symbols that are on these banners that are throughout our gathering here. And this morning it's on water and the imagery that we're taking from the scripture um, a lot of folks have asked us, you know, what's the, you know, why we have some of these elements of earth and wood and fire, water, wind, you know, why don't we have more crosses or more fishes and that sort of thing. Uh, partly because these symbols are straight from our scriptures, the holy book that we call the Bible. And um, we're explaining what, what we hope defines us as a culture and defines us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so whether you're, uh, you're looking at asking yourself questions regarding who you are or you're in a spiritual journey. We hope that this is a safe place for you to ask your questions. We hope that we help you ask the right questions as well. But, but in addition, if this is not your home church you're visiting today from another place, th- this is the kind of thing you can take back and, and use to measure yourself as a follower. Am I actually imitating the life of Jesus Christ to others? And this morning, it has to do with the symbol of water. So let's... Um, Let's open our Bibles to 1 John 4, 7. Take a look at what the scripture has to say. 1 John 4, 7. This is what he writes. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how we show um, his love among us. He, this is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, so here's the question. What's love? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If you're making notes, you're one of those kind of people that like to do the colored pencil pen thing, you know. Verses 10 and 12, if there's nothing you get out of this, that ought to be our defining, driving, you know, ethos or culture or point for us as followers of Christ. You know, the the, the miracle is not that we love God. I mean, you know, if, if people clearly see who God is, who Jesus Christ is, of course they're going to love him. Uh, and by the way, this isn't to say that if you don't call yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower, that somehow, you know, you're, you're, you're goofy or weird or strange. Obviously, it's us who are goofy and weird. But the point is, is that, that once you understand who it is that loves you, it's not hard to love this person back. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that he loves us. And then he points out that since we experience that kind of love, then we ought to show it to other people. Now let's drop down to verse 15. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. I guess that's kind of no way to say it differently, right? You know, I love God. I just don't like people. You liar. You don't love God at all. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he can't love God who he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's a, a lot of, of uh, symbols and images of man or humanity's search for God. I think probably the one of the most classic, even in cartoons or films, there's, there's always the guy or the person climbing the mountain to reach God, you know, reach enlightenment if you're from the, you know, from the east, or grace if you're from the west. And there's a struggle upward ever to reach God. But the image really is, is more like a person in the desert, at least according to the Bible, looking for water. And um, in the scriptures, it's, it's funny how over and over again, love is, is often used to describe who God is, what happens. And in fact, people are, are not missionaries or people don't share the beliefs that we have regarding our faith because we're told to do so. It's just that everything about God is pursuing people to love them. Not in that creepy stalker way, but to love them into the humanity that they were meant to walk in. And the fact is, is that this book, if you, if you take it, you know, some of you have paperback copies, some of you have little teeny ones, and others have big, big Thompson Chang, King James, red letter edition Bibles, because that's the Bible that God wrote. And, and, um, and yet, all of the stories have to do with a God who loves his people and loves individuals and pursues them. And yet, let's face it, this is not enough, is it? I mean, it's not enough to express it just in words. Something has to be shown. Um, I, uh, tomorrow is my son's uh, one-year wedding anniversary, and uh, I recall a year ago, year ago in the day, 364 days ago, uh, at his wedding, I was pestering him a little bit because I wanted to officiate the wedding, and his wife comes from a family of ministers, you know, and uh, so the, to be neutral, they, they chose some other ding-dong to do their wedding, and um, <laughs> some other reprobate, and... Um, <laughs> and get this, he didn't even wear black. He just wasn't cool at all. And uh, so, at any rate, uh, didn't listen to indie or alternative music. At any rate, um, uh, I recall thinking that when I, uh, I was watching my son and then the music came on for the traditional stand for the bride to walk in, I turned to see Anna. She was just beautiful, just beautiful. And when I looked back to look at my son, his face was so full of emotion that I realized at that moment I, would have, I, I could not have done that wedding. The people who know me know that I weep at weddings. I'm just a mess. I, there's certain commercials like, he called her. You know, I'm just one of those guys. <laughs> you know, I want to say sentimental, but, uh, you know, it's just a little girl when it comes down for some reasons like that. And, and so I, I cry at strangers' weddings. There have been times officiating a wedding, I'll say, you know, one of us should not be crying Maybe me, you know, I mean, we're all up there getting weird and emotional. And, uh, and yet, this, this was what I want to drive home. I saw in my son's face, his face just welled up with emotion at, at the sight of his bride. And I recall thinking how foolish it is for us 
to imagine that our emotions of love that we have for each other at times can be so thick and so rich and so complex that words alone convey it. He um, got her a rock and they went to Thailand and they did so many wonderful things and, and they're very expressive and uh, with their love for each other, cards. I recall when I first met Lilia that, uh, you know, I did the, uh, did the poetry thing, you know, right? Wrote, you know, the, I won't tell you. It was just some of it is way out of line. But uh, the point is that, you know, those of you, some of you who have been in a relationship, when you're so in love, you, it, words alone are not enough. Guys do the strangest things. You go broke expressing your love for someone else, right? Flower shops, cards, uh, you'll even step up the personal hygiene. I mean, you do the most exaggerated things you'll never do ever again in your life because you love a person. And, and, and I think what John is communicating to us is that God could not just say from on high, I love you, without, as he says, this is love. He sent his son for us. And I, I've had conversations with you, some of you, this past week where you were really struggling with this notion, how do I know that God loves me? And it has to be, if, if, if you're able to wrap your mind around it, the fact that Christ showed up for us is this ultimate expression of God's love for us. It, words alone are not enough. It has to be expressed. We, we, we will do, whether it's male or female, we, we, will, we will do stuff to express our love for each other. Um, speaking of that, it reminds me when, when folks sometimes come to um, Mosaic Whittier here or Mosaics in general, they, oh, you know, I found this, this church. It's so good. It's, I finally found the church. I, I, it's so good. And I just think, oh, wait for it. Give it time. You know, <laughs> once you get to know us, you know, uh, you know, we're just as jerky as the last church. But um, I recall a young couple who... Um, divorced and the woman remarried but I recall when they were they were first met them they were not married and they were going to get married and and this woman was so in love with this with this guy and and my wife and I were were talking with them talking processing through how to argue you know I was expressing you know to the woman you're you're always going to be wrong he's always going to be right and uh, no not like that it's more like telling the guy listen to learn how to say I'm sorry quickly honestly and sincerely because you'll be saying it a lot lately and, and she actually looked at me like a puppy, you know, like, you know, they talked their head and just, she could not process the fact that they might argue. And she actually said to me, I can't imagine us ever arguing. And they divorced 10, 12 years later. Because at some level, as I said earlier, it's not, it's not a big deal when someone says, I love God. Because once you know who he is, once you know what they've done for you, it's natural. I mean, unless you're weirdly dysfunctional, of course you're going to love this person. You have any notes of those of you who are still single? You, you'll have a friend, and um, you, you find out that they sort of have a crush on you. And, and the first thing that comes to mind is that you admire them for their good taste. It's not really a bright... They really got a lot together, that person, yeah. And then all of a sudden, in a strange, weird way, you're attracted to them. Because they like you. You know, they send you that little note, do you like me, circle one, yes or no, you know? Remember those things? <laughs> do you see somebody remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. And later on, some of you go, what the heck was that all about? 
my point, and there is one. That's not hard, loving God. It's not even hard. See, it's not hard loving somebody who's perfect. Right? That's my wife. It's not hard loving somebody that you think is perfect. The miracle is loving somebody who you know is not perfect, who's a mess, or makes a mess, or leaves a mess. In fact, I can give you the date and the time of an upcoming miracle. If you want to jot it down, here's when it's going to happen. It'll be on July 7th, 2008, on Whittier Drive. My wife and I will be married 29 years. And I sometimes wake up surprised that there's not a knife plunged in the middle of my chest. (laughs) For my wife, divorce is never an option. Murder was, but not divorce, you know. And I'll tell you another miracle. It's right here in this room. That some of you actually love each other. will put up with each other. will forgive each other. will pray for each other. Encourage each other. And actually look into that person and see God in them. And encourage them to bring out the best out of that individual. Or drive them to a Christ future. Knowing who they really, 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 really are. That's the miracle. And this is what God calls us to. And... Um, this is what he tells us to pursue let's go to John chapter 4 same author, different book John chapter 4 you know, I I don't know how to describe the tension that that, that was in this conversation um, I mean, it goes beyond race and religion Think of placing yourself in the most unlikely part of L.A., challenging a person and telling them that all their ideas, their meta-narrative, is wrong. And that what you have will actually give them the life that they're looking for. I mean, I don't know, where, where would you go? Boyle Heights? South Central? Skid Row? Yeah. And, uh, and, and if you kind of can feel that, then this is the context of this story. Jesus is talking to a woman from Samaria. The fact that he's speaking to a woman, the fact that he's speaking to a Samaritan, the fact that they're discussing, right? What are the two things you're not supposed to discuss when you meet people? Politics, right. But what, what else matters? That, I mean, that's one of the first things I want to go to. I mean, I figure if they're going to get mad at me, let's just get it over with. Right? <laughs> All right. Verse 13. Jesus answered, listen, everyone who drinks this water, and he's at a well, if you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them, they're never going to thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I think... Some of us who have been followers for, for a while you might have forgotten what it's like to feel that incredible spiritual thirst. We kind of take it for granted. We take it for granted until we are involved in a spiritual conversation. Uh, you've heard me say that I've often thought that sharing your faith is kind of like dating, uh, where the, the first person, like in a dating relationship, the first person that says, well, actually, 
How many sentences can I start and not finish? The, the, uh, you know when you guys exchange cards? You guys still do that or it's just emails now? Because I mean, I email and text a lot. But I remember you know, going to Papyrus because I want to get the good cards, not the Hallmarks. I mean, pfft, Hallmark. So you go to the mall, go to Papyrus, you get a nice cool card and you write out stuff. And then you're at that point, should I sign it fondly? Friends always? Or do I sign with those four letters that risks everything? Love, comma, Octavio. Because then once you mail it, by the way, there was a time when you actually had to send things in paper. It was a very analog way of communicating. And you, you give it to that person. Um, but then when you say it, I mean, goodness, if you put it out there and that person doesn't feel the same way, it's like, man, you just screwed up a friendship, didn't you? But haven't you felt that tension when you're talking about Christ with somebody? If somebody will ask questions about who you are, why you do what you do, and, and you'll say, you know, has someone ever taken a few moments to share with you how to connect with God? And I'll say, you know, not really, no. And, and then you start to speak about connecting to Jesus Christ, connecting to God through Jesus Christ, and you almost feel it coming up on you, you know, your hair and the beads of sweat, because you know everything rests on that person's decision. The person steps into this sacred romance we call following God, and, and, and Jesus uses this lovely metaphor of water coming into a person that not only do you, does it quench your thirst, it's not just that you just like quenches your thirst, but that inside of you actually bubbles up to a place where you're actually able to give living water to other people because that's what he calls us to do. In fact, look, so that you, so that you will never forget this lesson. This is why we, I wanted to give you guys water. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what you are. A container of water. And we have forgotten how, how dry and how miserable sometimes folks' existence can be that we will actually hold on and cap it tight and not share this living water with folks. I, I, I don't know how we, why we do this, but we do. And, and I have to tell you that Jesus had no advantage on us because it wasn't miracles. Don't you wish at times when you were younger in the faith or even maybe now, don't you wish you had that? Remember the Fantastic Four? Right? The guy with the flame on, Johnny, whatever he was. Who, what, what's his name? What's that? Okay, good. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> no one knows. But don't you wish you had that one of those things where you just do some things? Like, I'm a follower of Christ. Look, watch. You know, and just do this weird thing. But God didn't give that to us. He says, here's how I'm going to demonstrate to people that I exist and that I care for folks. You love them. This is why I've said in different settings that if people question God's goodness, we have to own that. Because God is good. He's enveloped us in love. He's baptized us in love. He calls us into love. He uh, allows us to experience his love. And then he says, all right, now go show somebody else. If we don't show them and people wonder, is God good or is God love, then whose fault is that? Let me take you to another passage in the book of John. It's John chapter 7, verse 37. John 7, 37. This is a, um, a significant feast, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And, and this was to commemorate God's care for the nation of Israel when they wandered in the desert. On the last day of this feast, what would happen is that, um, again, I get a picture of this huge temple area around me, just, you know, large, impressive, golden, jeweled inlaid building and uh, beautifully carved and, you know, 
just gorgeous. And then from the largest staircases, the priests would grab huge containers of water, they probably helped someone else for them, and they would throw them down on the steps. And that was to commemorate, um, reminding the folks how God provided water for his people in the desert. And it's at that moment, so in, that's the context, that's the scene that Jesus speaks up and says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, listen, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, because whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the spirit whom they had believed in him were later to receive, because up till that time they had not uh, been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so in this theme, this metaphor, this symbol of water that appears over and over again in the scripture, Jesus was driving home the point, it's not water, water that we're exactly talking about, it's actually me. I will quench the thirst. And this is where if you are a person who's not, you, you, you're the kind of person that says, I'm not really ready to say, you know, I'm not ready to, to be a Jesus person, because I don't, you know, I don't know, uh, do, do I have to change my music? Do I have to change how I dress? Do I have to change how I vote? Or you know, we lay all these weird things on folks. Understand that it is not about adopting a whole set of principles, but it's actually following love with a person, Jesus Himself. And so you could have a, a variety of opinions, a variety of tastes. The body is made up of individuals, not homogenous, but individuals who are in love with the same person. Jesus Christ. And because of his love for us and our love for him, it seems to moderate our behaviors. And there's some things we wish to do that helps us experience God further. And there's some things we wish to avoid because it seems to break off and cut off the connection between him and the person that we love the most. And so often, over and over again, this symbol of water appears, not just as quenching thirst. Let's go to John 17 for a moment. The book of John is unique because it covers in half 11 chapters, two and a half, three years, and then the last 10 chapters are about a week. Half of those chapters are one night. And in John 17, Jesus is spending this, this last important, significant night, this, this Passover meal, this, this meal, this, this festival that has so defined Israel for so many years up to this moment. And here's the one final meal that is the the, the culmination of, of, the, of who he was. And he's, he's eating the meal that everything about it represents what he's about to do. Correct? It's in a, a solemn and joyful moment. And, and, and these men who are experiencing this moment with Jesus are going to feel that they've lost him in a few hours while he was actually trying to gain them forever. Correct? And so as he's finishing this meal, he begins to pray for them and this is what he says to them and to us. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I want to stop there. I want to read that again. The purpose of this prayer May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, 
May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you've sent me. And go to verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Let me take you to an earlier verse here for just a moment. 1334. A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. Have you ever um, thought about the ways that, that Christ loves you? Or, or maybe have you pictured it sort of like a, a parent that kind of has to because, well, you know, you're their kid. I recall when I began to, to think about this one, uh, one day that it dawned on me that he takes, he takes me seriously. And what I mean by that is there are, there are moments when, uh, whether it's panic or fear or or an emotional upheaval or concerns or doubts, whatever it might be, that, that when I explain them or talk to, to Christ about this, he just, he's not rushing me. He doesn't finish my sentences for me. He doesn't cut me off and say, oh, you know, I've heard this one before. And I, I began to dawn on me how that if it, just, it just in this one area I began to care for people in this one way to take their concerns and their fears seriously, that is just one way of the many ways that Christ loves us. Now here's what I want to point out to you is that in the end, when I said earlier that Christ had no advantage over us, in the end, if we are loving and caring for people, that will be the proof of God's existence. That will be the evidence that he's come. That will be the demonstration that there's a God who lives and cares for humanity. Is the way that we love people. Now to me, the tragedy about this is that's the way people know that God exists. Because there's a lot of knuckleheads out there, correct? That have given the impression that God hates them, that God is angry, that God desires their destruction, to God wants them to change into something else before he could even care for them. Is that how you came? Or, or, or did you find yourself connecting to Jesus Christ when you were at your worst? Because that's kind of how I came. Now, some may be thinking, well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not that bad. Okay. Still, I mean, to be loved by God, <laughs> goodness. This is why the, the law and rules are required, because there is no love. You know, my, when I leave the house in the morning, my wife doesn't, doesn't tell me, by the way, make sure you come home tonight and don't go to somebody else's bedroom. You know why? Because I love her. She doesn't have to tell me that. See, you only have to have laws and rules and guidelines when there is no love. But a person who loves doesn't violate his community, doesn't violate his relationships, doesn't violate his code. And so Jesus expands and summarizes everything about the law and God's 
guidelines for his community and guidelines for his, the individuals by saying, hey, listen, two things. Love God, everything you have, and then love one another as you love yourself. And folks have the counterfeits to love. See, some of you are, are young, so you're going to hear this and you're going to think, okay, I know this, I'm not supposed to have sex. That's the counterfeit. That's probably the, not, I won't say the best, but that's probably the most common counterfeit to love. It's not the point that you're being naughty because you're being naked with somebody. That's not the issue. The issue is, is that you are, and I get this, to experience any sense of intimacy will actually connect with somebody physically who's not committed to us just to feel loved. And Christ offers something beyond that. You know what? I, here's what's something that I found interesting because I thought about it just this morning. I have never, ever, never met a married couple where the man and the woman who are in a healthy marriage relationship has ever said to me, you know what? I just wish I would have had more sex with people before I got married to my wife. I kind of regret that. I've never heard a woman say, you know what I was thinking? I love my husband. I love my kids. This is great. I, love I just wish I would have had more sex with men in college before I got married. I kind of miss that. I didn't, didn't take it off my to-do list. I've never met anybody say that. I have had people say to me that they wish they had not had the sex that they had prior to their marriage. And so this, please understand, I'm speaking to those of you who are single, this is not about not having sex. All of us who are married, we get the drive, we understand it. But you are giving yourself, you are exposing your soul to something that has a deadening effect. And, and you're not, look, you commit to somebody in that powerful moment of sex that, that doesn't just have the physical component of pleasure, but an emotional component, a spiritual component, you do some damage to your soul. I, I, it, it just is what it is. We're not made for that. You're not drinking water. You're eating sand. And some of you have already had a mouthful, and you're beginning to realize this is actually no pleasure anymore. I know a young man who used to date, um, you know, mess around, all that. And um, it dawned on him one day that he was just eating sand, and he knew this girl who was a good person, and it just dawned on him, you know, I, I am getting myself to this when there's this good person right here. And he began to love her and care for her, and they're in a good, healthy relationship. I find that every counterfeit that we use to experience some sense of life and intimacy is, at every single wedding that I do, I'll always mention that we wish to believe in magic and in romance and in beauty and that without even understanding it, that we wish to believe in God. We want there to be a God who loves us. But I know what, what the, the, the reality is that most of us understand in, almost intuitively that we don't deserve to be loved. I see this in some relationships with people. You, you reach out to them and, and with genuine affection or, or, or care and concern and, and they have a hard time getting it. And it goes from the simple thing of paying someone a compliment and saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not that to being incapable of receiving love because there's been so much damage done. 
And God comes to restore that and heal that. Let me jump towards the end of this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. I want to, uh, before I get there, I want to sum up some of what's missing here. If you're, if you're making mental notes or paper notes or something, is, is this. Nothing will accomplish, nothing will accomplish us sharing our faith more than loving people. It's not words. Words, enough are, words alone are not enough. I think we would like it to be, you know, you could just, the four spiritual laws, the Roman, whatever, you know, and I don't want to disparage that. I think that was a, a useful tool at its time. But here's what I think most folks are interested in. They don't even want your perfection. They don't care that you blow it once in a while. They just want to know, do you really, are you, are you for reals? Are you really, really for real? I know you're, I'm willing to give you, cut you the slack that you're going to screw up, that, that you're going to make a mistake, that you may even violate your own moral code once in a while, but I just need to know this. When you say that you love me, do you really mean it? Because if it's true that you love me, and you say it is because the God of Israel loves you, then maybe, maybe there's something for me with there. See, I, I know that some of the culture I was brought up in is that if you, quote, shared the gospel with somebody and they didn't bite, first of all, we did it all weird, right? We, you way stepped into someone's Kool-Aid when you shouldn't have. And you, you, you got weird about it and then you demanded an answer. There you are standing in line in the market. They do, let me alone, you know. And, 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 uh, and so they didn't come to faith. Oh, because you know, they don't love Jesus. And so you, you scratch them off the list. I don't have to have anything to do with them. They rejected Christ. It's not that easy. Because God is asking us to love people way beyond their decision to follow Christ. In fact, in fact, in fact, you know what? It's our love for people that's going to drive them towards a Christ future. Not pretending. Actually caring for people. And if you find yourself one of those folks that doesn't really love people, and you call yourself a follower, I'll just quote the scriptures to you. You're a liar. You haven't experienced it. Something is missing. All right, Matthew. Matthew 19. Here's the risk. A man came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Boy, that's, that's always the question, right? People always, generally, we thought this, everyone thinks this. What do I have to do to connect to God? Verse 17. So why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus said. There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? Jesus said, well, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20. Now, here's what's amazing to me. I, you know, I think most of us could say, all right, no murder. Okay. Even though I'm driving on freeways most of the time, no worries. Don't commit adultery. Okay. Don't steal. Does that count the post-it notes from the office supply store? Don't give false testimony. Yeah, but I don't want to hurt her feelings or whatever. Right? Honor your father and mother. Man, they're goofy sometimes. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you seen my neighbors, God? But verse 20, the guy looks at Jesus and says, oh, okay, I've done that. Now, I'm reading the story. I want to think, 
Liar. Deluded liar, you know? Okay, so Jesus doesn't address that because it would be obvious. See, um, I've, all these I've kept, what else do I still lack? Now, understand this. This is what happens to a lot of us. He's done stuff to connect to Jesus Christ or connect to God. And that doesn't give him the connection. And so he goes on in verse 21. Well, listen, if you want to be perfect or complete, here's the thing I know that's holding you back. Here's the thing that I realize that you value more than the connection to God. Go sell your stuff, give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now I have to tell you something. In that story, when he leaves, Jesus had looked at him with love, it says. That's the, gosh, that's the risk you just take when you love somebody, right? It's that they won't love back. But if we're not risking that, and what are we doing? Why, why, do we get, why do you guys get up early on Sunday morning? Some of you are asking yourself that question right now. I know that. Why am I up here Sunday morning? But honestly, if you're going to commit to following Jesus Christ, if you're not risking loving people and caring for them, no matter where they are in their journeys, no matter even if they ever make a decision for Jesus, then what are you doing? You're, you're, you could have a, a note full of... Uh, 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 a note-filled Bible. You could have all the spiritual literature in your bookshelves at home, and you know you can wear all the Christian stuff, and even have a sticker in your car. Awesome, great. But do people know you as a person who loves? If not, go back to the source, reconnect to God, get filled, become a container of water, and go love people and fulfill what God has required of us. Why? So that people will know that there's a God who exists and cares for them. All right, let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so, so much that you are a God that does care for us. And as we're kind of thinking through all this stuff, and I know it'd be easy to beat ourselves up. Certainly the enemy would help in thinking that somehow we have so blown it and failed and we're bad. And, uh, how, how, do we, how do we begin to address where we need to start over? I think maybe it's with you and your son. Help us to love you and experience your love. Help us to cut those habits out of our lives that, that uh, seem to be those hurdles and weights that slow us down in pursuing you. And help us when we read those scriptures and when we speak to you to hear your voice that you love us. It, that seems to be the energizing thing that we sense your love for us. Because it is then that we wish to love others. I pray, Father, for folks who are here today maybe asking questions. Maybe they're not even asking questions. But um, I pray that we could be part of their story and help them in the process and help them ask the right questions. And I pray that by the way that we treat them and the way that we live, that we give the answer that yes, there's a God who loves them. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier. 
a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.